Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer, The Mental Breakdown. I'm Kowal. And I'm Kenneth. Don't forget to heat, eat, and bon appetit. <laughs> I'm going to put that ad in this episode just because of that. Oh my god. I was crying. I was literally crying. It we was have, so funny. We have the most fun doing our ads. Like, we just, like, record them together and we just we get them out of the way. Just kind of make them little clips so that we can just put them in any episode. But we have to sit with the other person while they're doing it. And so mm. it's hard to be super serious. <laughs> And then I did one for, and you'll hear it, I'll put it in here at mm. the end, or in the middle. And I said something very clever. And it was <laughs> hilarious. I was in my phone just adjusting my own ads on my Google Docs, and I turned and looked at Kenna like she had just invented fire. It was so funny. I was like, holy shit, that's a golden, <laughs> oh my gosh, a golden it's a line. a golden line. So you just gotta wait for it. You'll hear it yeah. in the middle of this episode somewhere. <laughs> and then my ad, oh my gosh, I was so excited to do my ad because it is a company that I have grown up with. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of, Same. you know, alternative, you know, not just alternative, any any type of person ever. If you're a mall rat like me, you've definitely stepped into the store before. And yeah. I was like, I am going to put in a bunch of nods that I remember about this store. And yeah. It was just... It was great. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we got those done. Yes. And thank you guys for joining us for another Mental Breakdown. Yeah. You want to give them our handles? Sure. So, (laughs) no, it's opposite. You want to give them our handles? Sure. (laughs) You can follow us anywhere at Diagnosing a Killer, with the exception of X, formerly known as Twitter, which is at Killer Diagnosis. We have a Patreon. We have PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, all that stuff. And Diagnosing a Killer, if you just want to throw a couple bucks our way, help us give you guys some more exclusive content. Especially with the con coming up. Every little bit helps. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys definitely made it happen last year. We're really excited for this year. So excited. We got registered for the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival 2024. You've heard us talk about it before, but if you're new here, that is going to be in Denver the weekend of July 12th through the 14th. Mm -hmm. The 14th is my birthday, so you guys come hang out. (laughs) And yeah, we have a page on, or excuse me, diagnosingakiller at gmail.com. And then if you do join our tier two and three Patreon, you do get access to an exclusive Patreon episode every 29th of every month. And it is a super gory, no content warning, no ads, no banter, just right in your face episode. Yes. And yeah, we're looking forward to this month. Super excited. Yes. Yeah, check out all of our merchy merch stuff, y'all. We hand make everything now, including koozies, our bracelets, our friendship bracelets, our t-shirts. Thank you guys so much for responding to that one poll that we had out. Oh, yes. For our repurposed shirts at a slight discount, which uh, we will update you guys on soon enough. Yeah. Yeah. Soon. We'll figure it out. We have to go through our inventory and see exactly what we have. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Are you ready? Yes. Today we're going to be talking about murder in movies and the obsession of true crime. Okay. Which may or may not be a good title. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm ready to hear it. Content warning. 
We may discuss things that relate to violence and trauma from abuse. If this episode is not for you, we recommend you check out another one of our episodes. Remember that your mental health comes first, and we love you. Love you. Bye. So we have always been interested in horror and true crime as humans, seemingly since the introduction of entertainment. As early as documentation in the 18th century, we have people have found the macabre interesting and macabre. Like when you said macabre. I don't even, I still don't know what that means. The macabre? It's yeah. like dark themed stuff. Oh, well, there you go. Macabre. Macabre. <laughs> <laughs> the perceived inventor of early horror writings was a man by the name of Horace Walpole. Although in the 18th century, this genre was called the gothic genre, not horror. Horace? Horace. Horace. His name is name. Horace. Horace. It sounds like you're saying horse very strangely. <laughs> Horace. Horace. <laughs> Are you into horse? Horace. <laughs> That's a terrible name. Like sorry. Ugh. I think of Horace and I think of Jasper. Jasper. 101 Dalmatians. Hmm. Horace and Jasper. You haven't? I've seen it when oh. I was a tyke. A oh. young tot. But no, not in a long time. The I, I mean, of course, I like the Disney one, but I like the live-action Disney one with Glenn Close. Oh, no. She's I also the guy in the boo box in Hook. Yeah, you're... Speaking a different yeah. language? Okay. <laughs> you All lost right. me there. So his novel, Horace Wobble, his Wobble. <laughs> <laughs> his novel was called Castle of the Otranto, Otranto? And it was published in 1764 and was one of the earliest works of what would become the horror genre. He said about his novel, quote, The Castle of On... Oh, gosh, I can't say that. On Tronto was an attempt to blend two kinds of romance, the ancient and the modern. In the former, it was all imagination and improbability. And in the latter, nature was always intended to be and sometimes has been copied with success, end quote. Hmm. So this brings about that thought that the crossroads and where reality and imagination meet can make things feel real. And when they feel real, they feel relatable. Okay. So within the next 60 years, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley would publish her novel in 1818, which blended science and goth and would be one of the most famous gothic stories of all time. Frankenstein. Oh. Yeah. That's 1818. Crazy. So this novel further defined the gothic genre and introduced the world to the more specific genre of horror. Edgar Allan Poe's work furthered this idea of gothic horror with his poems, often writing about paranormal experiences with ghosts, being buried alive, and even describing scenes of decomposition. He was a very disturbed person. I think he was cool. (laughs) Nevermore. Bram Stoker gave the world Dracula in 1887, and with it introduced sexuality in tandem with horror, even straddling the line of heteronormativity. Hmm. By the 1930s, we had supernatural horror novels by H.P. Lovecraft, and by 1970, we had Stephen King's Carrie. Hmm. And of course, Stephen King is an author who still writes horror and supernatural genres today. But why do we love horror? Most psychologists believe that the reason we enjoy watching and reading horror so much is that we as humans have a natural response to threats evolutionarily. We have a fight-or-flight response programmed into our brains for survival. According to psychologytools.com, the fight-or-flight response is defined as a, quote, response that is an automatic physiological reaction to an event that is perceived as stressful or frightening. 
The perception of threat activates the sympathetic nerve system and triggers an acute stress response that prepares the body to fight or flee. These responses are evolutionary adaptations to increase chances of survival in threatening situations. End quote. Thanks, Coda. (laughs) (laughs) You can hear him. The article goes on to state, quote, The fight-or-flight response was originally described by American physiologist Walter Bradford Cannon in the book Bodily Changes in Pain, Hunger, Fear, and Rage, which he published in 1915. I feel like I should read that. Right? (laughs) He noted that when animals are threatened by exposure to a predator, for example, their bodies release the hormone adrenaline or epinephrine, which would lead to the series of bodily changes, including increased heart rate and respiration. These excuse me, the consequences of these changes are increased in the flow of oxygen and energy to the muscles. Cannon's interpretation of this data was that there were emergency functions of these changes. He noted that they happen automatically and they serve the function of helping the animal to survive threatening situations by readying the body for fighting or running, end quote. Huh. I feel like that's the same, like, okay, so what I thought you were going to say is a little bit different. When people watch, like, horror, or especially, like, true crime, is it feel like it's kind of similar to when, like, you drive by, like, a really gnarly car accident, like, you can't look away almost? Because yeah. I feel like the natural instinct is like, oh, thank God that's not me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, you're, and you have to be aware of it so that you don't get into it, you of know? Of course, yeah. And, so, and I, yeah. I think it is a little bit of that, too. It is be more mindful, like, you're being mindful and being aware of the mm-hmm. situation and taking it into a certain point to where you're thinking... I need to avoid that. That is danger. Yeah, you know? that can't happen to me or won't happen to me because right. I'm aware now. Research suggests that as many fi- as 55% of the population enjoy emulating this response through horror films, Mm-mm. the majority of being male, and those who do enjoy horror films tend to have a slightly lower level of empathy. Okay, that makes sense because I hate horror films and my empathy really? is through the roof. That's so funny. <laughs> That that's interesting to me because I you enjoy hate true crime horror films, which we'll talk about. They fucking well, I don't like horror films. Like the ones that really scare me are the ones that could actually happen. Yeah, in my mind, mm-hmm. like Paranormal Activity. Pff, shut the fuck. Up. Like I don't like that at all. It's boring. Okay, <laughs> it was boring. It was boring. <laughs> um, Evil Dead. Yeah, terrifying, mm-hmm. but yeah. also like kind of unlikely. You know, mm-hmm. but like the Chainsaw Massacre. That could fucking happen. <laughs> That's, That's the one you pulled out. out of me. <laughs> and we're I definitely- screamed just about as much as that girl at the end. <laughs> the last 20 minutes of the movie is just her screaming. Just remember everybody that kind of said that, because we'll talk about some points here in a second. Oh, God. So epinephrine, which is also adrenaline, is produced in the adrenal gland and can have addictive properties. And that's where we get the term adrenaline junkies, right? Ooh. So it can actually be addictive. Watching or reading horror content is a way to experience the response, but know that there's no real perceived threat. In fact, the Harvard Business Review reported that there are three main pillars that must exist within oneself in order to enjoy horror media. No. Yes. This was so cool. Okay. So one, you must know that you are physically safe at the moment. Like you're watching a horror movie at home or at a friend's house in a safe space. In a bed, on a couch, yeah. Number two, you must be able to detach yourself from the content that you're consuming. So knowing that the living dead aren't real or that Freddy Krueger isn't real. So you just have to be able to detach yourself. And number three, you have to believe that you're in control of your content, covering your eyes when things are too much or you're anticipating a scary part or just turning off the TV entirely. That's okay. So that's the thing. Like I have all those things. 
and I still, I just don't like horror films. I don't know. Like, but maybe I'm, it is the I'm control. Definitely maybe, the, yeah. <laughs> maybe it is the control. Maybe you feel out of control. What? Well, I think it also stems from my childhood. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It seems a lot of horrors. The thing that scares me the most about horror films are the pop-ups. Or like when something pops out. Yeah. That scares me the most. The jump scare. The jump scares, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, like, oh my god. Ew, 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 true. Ew, we used to terrify you all the time when you were little. Have we you would seen... jump out of places. Yeah, you bitches. Have you seen <laughs> Insidious? Yeah. Okay, when they're at the kitchen table and it goes between like her face and then his face and then her face and then it's his face with the guys right behind him. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Is that the tiny Tim tiptoe through the tulips? Or is that... Yes, that's it. Yes. That one's awful. I I always confuse Insidious and... What's the one with the... The Dybbuk? Not the Dybbuk. Oh, God, I still have... The... Not the Bagul. Is it the Bagul? The one that steals the children? Oh, I don't know. I think it is with um, Ethan Hawke. No, yeah, I'm lucky that I one was freaky too. I wouldn't have watched that. Otherwise. It was like small content warning because we didn't talk about this at the beginning of the episode, but it's got a bunch of children that kill themselves, and they videotape or they kill their family and then themselves or something. But the bagul every time, like it'll pan over and it's like an old 35 millimeter like um, film, like the video yeah. is. And it's every time... I'm going to get nightmares. I, I, I can't... Like, you can see behind me. I can't. You have a wall behind you. It's I have under, an open door. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared. Every once in a while, I'll just look past Kenna and kind of go, stop, 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 stop. But yeah, it'll it'll pan over and it's the bagul and he just... Nobody can see me do this, but he has his back turned and then he'll just slowly turn his head. Fuck. Into the, oh my god, you have to see it. It's terrifying. No, no thanks. <laughs> I'll pass on that. Thank you. But it says it gives you that sense of, of, I don't know, just out of control. Was, just like you can't. Yeah. But maybe that's what it is. Because sometimes I don't like watching horror movies if I'm not in the it's mood. Out because, of control for sure. Yeah. Like even like, I can't the control what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Especially if I haven't seen it before. That was like the OG full body heaps though back then. Like <laughs> I was getting scared of movies. Like OG full oh, body yeah, heaps. Oh, yeah, for sure. Full body heaps. I don't know. So if one of these things are not in play, you risk the, you essentially run the risk of being overly stimulated by the content and therefore creating a lasting impression. Yeah. Which happened. my, okay. I understand that people really like the Mothman and especially when he's drawn tiny and cute. Okay. Everybody loves the Mothman. He scares me to the point to where I'm uncomfortable talking about him right now. Because I feel like he's going to hear me, and then he's going to show up in my sink in the middle of the night, and it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be nice. So for me, it's more of the threat of the unknown, because again, it's out of control, right? But I, seriously, that's one one that gave me a lasting impression. And according to some studies, you may even experience or develop a similar response to the effects of PTSD, yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah, I'm telling, you just, you just placed the blame on you, because now all I can think about is you and Cameron scaring me every chance you got when I was little, hiding PTSD. in my closet like psychos. God, no, now it makes sense. We gave you the, the and jump now I don't scare watch PTSD. Horror films. No, I can't watch horror Thanks. movies. Of course, it is not just a flight or fight or flight response that makes us addicted to things like horror films. It can be the complexity of the puzzles that are being presented, like in Saw, 
or characters that are charismatic that we would so charismatic that we would love to hate them, like Chucky. Ugh. Sometimes it's wanting to be a part of a legacy, like the Friday the 13th franchise, or maybe even interesting twists like in M. Night Shyamalan movies. Mm-hmm. We love to chat about the latest scariest film of the year, and it creates a community-type feeling around them. And in fact, horror films are popular date ideas, as the adrenaline rush and perceived threat can be a subconscious bonding experience between two people. Yeah, me and Casey both hate horror films, so that's not happening. <laughs> Gotta watch World War II in color. That's me. No, Casey's, the, yeah, he's like a Western movie person, mm-hmm. and I'm like rom-com. Yeah. Or like just a comedy or like a drama. Or just Grey's Anatomy. Or just Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> which I'm binging. I'm on the shooting episode right now. Oh, no. I oh, am. No. That in the hospital with mm-hmm. the, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh. <laughs> That is a great episode. I paused that episode to come talk to you guys. (laughs) (laughs) If you want great tasting meals daily, but can't find the time to shop or even cook, we have the solution for you. Fresh Meal Plan is a convenient, easy way to create custom meals delivered right to your door. With hundreds of rotating meals each week, there's always something new to look forward to. Many of their meals are ready in three minutes or less so you don't have to spend all night cooking. Just select your meals, heat, eat, and bon appetit. Click the link in our show notes today for an exclusive offer with Fresh Meal Plan and create the perfect menu for you. So in parallel to the enjoyment of horror content, true crime has long fascinated the greater public for very similar reasons. So who isn't talking about Gypsy Rose right now? Mm -hmm. We've created an entire community around her in the last few weeks. Jodi Arias was a woman who everyone wanted to know more about and the character she portrayed, and she was a puzzling woman. True crime stories can sometimes have more twists and turns than the latest M. Night Shyamalan movie. And what the wildest part about all of this is, is that it is real. It is real, and you can't make that shit up. You can't make that shit up. Like, no one's that creative. You can't make that shit up. So then I'll ask you, why are you scared of horror films, but not true crime necessarily? I actually don't know. I think because, well, if you want my honest answer, which I'm not going to lie, obviously, but I think it's because I know that I research true crime for a purpose. Yeah. Watching horror films does nothing for me educationally, in my opinion, educationally or in the future. Researching true crime puts me one step closer to preventing it from happening. I love that and answer. That's why I think I'm so interested in it because I want to know like what's going on and how yeah. can we fix it? Absolutely, know? on the nose. So true crime can become a cautionary tale or contain introspective properties that allow us to look at ourselves and others around us more closely. Mm-hmm. The fight or flight response still resonates within us when we're watching or listening to true crime stories. However, something even deeper happens instinctually. We are learning in real time how to spot signs of mistrust and deception or personality traits in someone that we don't want to associate, all with the intention to protect ourselves and those around us. And you're learning twice as much if you listen to our podcast, because we talk about the psychology. Just <laughs> like we're doing right now. <laughs> Just saying. They're like, yeah, we're already here. Okay, we're sold. You don't, <laughs> you don't need to keep... Also in this scenario, there is an array of characters. We have the protagonist, typically a victim of the crime, who is seemingly forgiven for all indiscretions prior to the crime for the sake of the story. We don't typically talk about any... 
Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, yes. like, mm-hmm. like especially on Dateline or 48 Hours, they always talk about the victim in such a lovely light, right? Mm-hmm. This is our protagonist. We don't want to harm this person. This person's a good person. Yeah, sorry. That just makes me think of uh, John Mulaney when he's like, you ever, like, go to the newsstand and, like, <laughs> you see this photo and it's, like, beauty slain and you look at the picture and you're like, mm. beauty. <laughs> it's like, how about body found? <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. so mean. It's so bad. <laughs> And of course, I am not talking about any specific case here. This is just the way that things are written for us to be able to consume. Yeah, for sure. But it's very true. They always say, you know, the best things about people when they have passed or they are a victim of something. Right. Of course, I would want people to do about me, you know? Of course. (laughs) But it just, it's easy to to gloss over maybe something that that person did to my death you know, be in that situation in of the course. first place, you know? And, and, and I absolutely do not want to discredit or not discredit, but you know, this isn't every case. Of course, of course we have not. seen and read stories of, you know, predominantly like, like the sex work community. Yeah. These people were, these women or people were villainized because of what they did and therefore they deserved to be killed. And we've definitely no. seen stories like that. For sure. We're not victim blaming at all. No. But it makes sense that you would want to, like you said, protect that person's image and only talk about the good things that they did when they were here. Correct. It just, it makes for a stronger story, mm-hmm. even in true crime. The antagonist or the perpetrator who is looked under at under a microscope and judged without merit, regardless of the impending crime, is wrong from the conception of the story. So mm-hmm. from the very beginning, this person is troubled, this person had a bad life, you know, this is the antagoni- antagonist, and one day they will meet, and then something terrible happens. It's, it's written the same way every time, almost. Which I think is the unfortunate part about some podcasts, and I'm not saying that everybody has to do the same angle that we have. Mm-hmm. I get that's what sets us apart from other people. But like I've said before, like they gloss over problems like that because they only want to see this person as a piece of shit, someone that did this heinous crime, Mm -hmm. but you're not looking at the childhood and the trauma and abuse they went through. Again, not excusing what they did. Of course, they don't, they don't deserve to be free person Mm -hmm. if they have done something like that. But when you just look at the crime and you don't look at what caused it. Yeah, it's easy to really hate that person. Exactly, you know? but then and it becomes in certain very, cases, it becomes very black and white. Exactly, and I think that you and I do a really good job of shedding light on p- the people that are the perpetrators' children again, without excusing what they did, right? Making it people aware of what they went through, and almost like I mean, there's been cases where I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel bad for that person, you know, mm-hmm. even though they were the perpetrator, mm-hmm. I kind of feel bad for him, you know, in certain instances. And it's exactly what we're talking about right now when we're talking about what keeps true crime interesting and it is about the knowledge it is about learning more and Mm -hmm. if you can learn more about someone's mental state or your own mental state you know that that in itself is part of that caution right yep so eventually the side characters influence the two main characters which can be family friends and the legal system we become invested in these characters as there is a climax to the story and after all we do need to see the final outcome guilty or not all is written in a format that is digestible for the consumer. Furthermore, when it comes to true crime, we can walk away from the content and feel better about the knowledge that we've gained, applying it into our own lives, and knowing one less criminal is not walking amongst us. Yeah, definitely. One major difference between consuming horror content versus true crime content is that women tend to enjoy true crime more than men. Why do you think that is? Well... I'm sure you're going to tell me, and I already know. (laughs) Some psychologists theorize that the reason for this is that women are statistically more likely to experience a violent crime. Mm -hmm. 
So they need to prepare themselves, or they feel the need to prepare themselves. Absolutely. That by consuming the true crime media, we are better preparing ourselves to recognize perceived threats. Furthermore, women who have experienced violence in their lives previously will seek out other victims' stories in order to identify, understand, and even heal their trauma through being exposed to other victims' stories. Overall, true crime can help us compartmentalize our fears and organize them in a way that makes sense to us. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I've gotten to the point now where, I mean, I don't think I ever, you and I have talked about this before, where, like, you research research a case and then it sticks with you, like, you have dreams about it, you think about it for, like, the next couple weeks. Mm -hmm. I think, again, not that I don't enjoy educating people on certain cases and not that I don't enjoy researching and learning more for myself, but I've always treated the research of my cases like just like a job Mm -hmm. you know and like it's so funny because I'm such an empathetic person yeah and I do get emotionally attached very often but there's not really a lot of times where I'm reading a case and I'm like emotionally like distraught I'm just like okay this is just research you know (laughs) just kind of like blink it out I don't know how I do that I can't even watch fucking Insidious. <laughs> you can't watch Insidious, but that's you. Like we said, you you dissociate from that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You dissociate from it, and that's your. Even though it's real, it's real crimes that happen to real people. It's not a horror film that was brought yeah. on by like a million dollar budget or a few million dollar budgets. But it's like that. That's just interesting to me that you're like you're kind of the opposite. Yeah. Because I I definitely feel like it, it is hard for me to detach myself when I do my research because, and you know me, and I've said it on the podcast before, but if we have new listeners, I listen to audio tapes, I, I like people, like actual interviews. I listen to the yeah. interrogations and I listen to the perpetrator's voice. I listen to the victim's voices. And that, to me hearing that and because I'm just a sort of visual person I guess that it puts me in the mindset of this person's life and it's easier for me to write that way yeah instead and I of, don't I don't yeah. listen I don't watch documentaries if if a documentary is the only thing available and there's yeah. not a lot online of course I'll watch it yeah I just do strictly like internet research I don't yeah. watch I don't watch I, I listen to that person's like right now I'm on I've said it before courttv.com listening to old cases. I was listening to the Menendez case just last week and listening to them on the stand. And I mean, this is like six to seven hours, mm-hmm. of, you know, over the course of a few days, everybody was obsessed with Johnny and Amber, right? I yeah. mean, it was like that every day you came home and you watched the trial. And that's that's the way that it is with me. But I'm writing about it as I'm listening to them because it just puts me in a certain headspace that like I need to be in. Mm-mm. See, I feel like I get too distracted. Like I would just watch the documentary and not write anything down. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, oh wait, hold on, what whatever happened this whole like. <laughs> no, and I'll bit. I'll do that and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's like an interesting little fact. Let me back that up and yeah. listen to it. Although I will say I was doing research yesterday for my next case mm-hmm. and I had to close my laptop at one point because I got so nauseous. I was like, oh, okay. really? Uh, yeah, it was bad. Oh my gosh. I was like, okay, I'm gonna turn it in for the night. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not gonna do that. Ugh. Yeah. So consuming true crime media is not always the healthiest choice. One or more concerning effects over the consuming of true crime is that we can create prejudice around certain groups of people, especially when the story contains minority characters. Of course. Although this prejudice can be related to any race, gender, or identity, of course, prejudice gained over exposure to true crime media can creep into the legal system and create unfair biases in juries. Mm-hmm. Some may even consider themselves as experts in the science of crime scenes, almost like backseat forensics, which is hilarious. Hilarious. 
Most often, forensics and criminal trials can be confusing and conflicting, so it's very important that a juror listen to all of the evidence presented in order to make a sound verdict, and not use your memory from that one trial that you saw in that one case from 48 hours, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, this is so similar. Each case can be completely different. Absolutely. We also need to consider that while true crime is entertaining, it also has a tendency to sensationalize, glorify, and even sexualize perpetrators of crimes. Yep. Ted Bundy became notorious, not just for the 36 or more suspected murder and rape victims of his, but for being an above-average hottie, especially when Zac Efron played him in the Netflix series Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Yeah. Ugh. I know, that's gross. The internet blew up with pictures of Ted Bundy with hearts around his portrait. Ew. With one user even posting, quote, I know he's a murderer, but can we say Ted Bundy is hot, right? I mean... Efron is going to play him. I feel like that's okay, end quote. Yeah, that's totally fine. You do you. Go stand outside the prison <laughs> with your wig. With your wig. <laughs> what is that, Karen from uh, Mean Girls? Like, then you have your cousins, and then you have your first cousins, and then you have your second cousins. Right? right? No, honey, <laughs> that's, that's not right, so not right. <laughs> <laughs> we, somewhere along the way... Forget that this murderer violated a woman so brutally with a metal rod, it caused her internal organs to burst. Yeah, that's disgusting. It's awful. But he's hot. But he's hot. But he's hot. Zach Efron played him. First of all, he's all, not even hot he, because he's a fucking murderer. <laughs> yeah, because he's a murderer. Like, they had even people writing Jeffrey Dahmer, even though Jeffrey Dahmer was an openly gay man. There was yeah. women writing to him. Actually, speaking of that, I looked up, not looked up, but I saw recently, like, Evan Peters went through, like, some shit after he played him in that series. Like, oh, really? he started to, like, mentally he was like, me. decline. <laughs> he was me. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, he, he researched too hard. He had to, like... Almost like a Heath Ledger and like the Joker, or not the Joker. What I'm thinking of, yeah, yeah, the Joker. Yeah, like a lot of character or actors that get method so, acting so far into their character. Exactly, That's and like, he was like, I, I kind of lost it there for a little bit. Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman. Did you ever see that documentary? You would like yeah, that. I've seen it. Before, Jim and Andy. Think, yeah. Oh my gosh! And he was, he was That's Andy awful. Kaufman. I forget what article I read recently, but there was celebrity that felt really robbed because they were going to go see Jim Carrey on set and they didn't meet Jim Carrey. They met Andy Kaufman and it was their only time ever being exposed to Jim Carrey. And they said that they were pretty pissed off about it. Yeah, I would be too. But that's really scary. Like, I mean, that happens, you know, you just lose yourself. You do. You better lose yourself in the music. The moment you own it. Hybristophilia, (laughs) which is a paraphilic disorder. We talked about this on the lady episode that I did. Yes. So, yeah, I was going to piggyback off that, that it's a paraphilic disorder where one is interested or sexually aroused by someone who commits crime, and mm-hmm. it is often seen as um, the culprit in cases like this, with yeah. people being obsessed with Bundy. And yes, Lady You're Scaring Us did a whole episode on that, so check that out. Yeah, Dream. I was actually... Sola. I was, yeah, I was a guest host on Lady You're Scaring Us for that episode. I, I talked about it already, but when Hillary asked me do you know what hyperstophilia is? I said, no, I knew what it was. I knew that word, but I couldn't put them together. And I was no. like, oh, I feel silly. I was like, okay, well, I knew what that was. But yes, it's just, it's wild. This attraction is somewhat understood when this is the very nature of true crime and horror in general, dating back to even Dracula, which was previously mentioned, that it bordered this kind of sexual thing, mm-hmm. the perpetrator and sex. We have the pillars that indicate we remove ourselves from the brutality of crimes um, perpetrators like Bundy commit because, let's face it, 
We likely and hopefully will not experience the horrific circumstances these women went through, and therefore we can detach. Yeah. We are likely physically safe watching these horrors from the comfort of our bed or a couch at home. And if you're in control of the content, you can easily turn off the television or turn your head or fast forward. Again, overexposure to true crime isn't always the healthiest choice. Oversaturation may result in becoming increasingly paranoid, checking to see if your doors are locked multiple times in the night. (laughs) Who does that? Kenna. (laughs) (laughs) Not being able to sleep and being overly weary of others, much to the point to where people start isolating themselves. So be vigilant if you're like us and true crime becomes your life. Take a break every once in a while. Watch something else, also known as palate cleansers like puppy videos or kitten videos. <laughs> Take a walk. Or Grey's Anatomy. Or Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> Take a walk and spend some time with close friends and integrate back into society, you bridge troll. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That's true crime bridge troll. That's it. Okay. <laughs> that was good. I like that. I was just going to say, um, just adding on to what you were just saying about, you know, people becoming hyper like aware and, you know... It, Yes, it's likely that it will not happen to us, but you never know. Like, every day is is going to be di- different. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's why we try to be as extra sincere and, like, very sensitive as we can when we do bring topics like true crime cases, and especially when it comes to, like, the victims. We always want to make sure that we are advocating for the victims, obviously advocating for mental health awareness. Yeah. Not victim blaming, you know, everything like that, because you don't know who is is somebody that has experienced something like that or maybe right. they're a close friend of theirs or something, you know? So true. So just a reminder to always be, you know, aware of your surroundings, aware of what you're saying and how it can affect other people. Of course. That's yeah. I think that I don't, I wouldn't say that a lot of the stuff that we carried or covered today is self-explanatory. I don't definitely don't want people to feel that way that it's like, you know, we can get back to the, the basics and talk about why people are interested in true crime yeah, and not just talk about true crime and not know why we're doing this or have any purpose or any of that other stuff. So again, what might seem like self-explanatory probably kind of isn't to a lot of people and they don't understand why they, why they enjoy that stuff and maybe feel even a little guilty that they enjoy that stuff. Exactly. All of it is a, a very real thing that was integrated into our brains a long time ago and it is part of our evolutionary process and as a society as well. Like, these things are talked about so that people are aware. Exactly. And that's, I mean, one of our main goals, we say it all the time, is to educate, you know? And mm. if you learn one thing on our podcast, then we're doing our job. Yeah. You know, we definitely <laughs> want to be that outlet of people that can not only enjoy the true crime aspect of everything and enjoy just hanging out with us, you know, because mm-hmm. we're funny and we're hilarious and we're friends. We're so But funny. also educating yourself as well, yeah. you know? Exactly. I do just want to say one more thing before we go, unless mm-hmm. you have anything else. Uh, no, uh, yeah, after you. Go oh, okay, sure. Uh, yeah, we got another uh, review and rating oh. on Apple Podcasts. Nice. I saw it today, which is really nice. So someone by the name of Sam said, really good as the subject. Not only are these ladies smart and the podcast is well-researched with honest empathy, they are hilarious. I find myself laughing a lot. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. We really yeah. appreciate it. We mm-hmm. we try really hard to not be take ourselves so seriously, but also... Of course, the content is serious, so mm-hmm. we need to kind of get, like, a little leveled out with the <laughs> the seriousness and the humor, but I'm yeah. glad that it's a good little mix for you. Yeah. And thanks for the review. It helps us. Yes, absolutely. The only thing I have left to say is heat, eat, and bon appetit. 
<laughs> if I don't see you. And if I don't good see afternoon, you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good, good night. Good All right. I think that's it. See you guys next time. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. When I think about the latest trends, I think Spencer's. Spencer's has been a mall must-visit since its first store opened in 1963. From then, Spencer's has always stocked the most unique and buzzworthy products, including, but not limited to, their wide range of lava lamps, their body jewelry cases, and of course, their infamous wallet wall. And don't forget about their 18 and up section, dedicated to sexual health. Did I mention their humanitarian work? Spencer's has been partnered with the ACLU for years in an effort to protect individual rights, as well as other nonprofits such as cancer. With over 670 locations in the U.S., Spencer's is the hottest place for trends, even after 75 years. Click the link in the show notes to receive an exclusive offer today. Spencer's, life's a party, and we're making it fun.